the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of KDOW or its management owners or advertisers and should not be construed as legal tax or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial money, investing, and more. I'm always going to work hard to get you some good ideas and thoughts. If you listen to the show for 15 minutes, I want to think you're going to walk away with one nugget of financial information. Whether it's, it's a great nugget or not, it depends on the day. I get it. My commute's a good hour each way sometimes, so I get the value of it. Like, your time is worth something to me. So I try to do my very, very best. Uh, one of the areas that I want to talk about is that when I was growing when my brother David was growing up, he's good eight, ten years older than me, there was, like, people would prep for nuclear bombs still. They would get under their desks in case a nuke hit, which is pretty funny, telling me that our government wasn't really being honest with what we should be doing. But they were building up kind of a propaganda machine that Russians were bad and they're going to nuke us one day and we'll be safe because we're smarter than they are and going to hide under our chairs. So I kind of grew up in a world where, you know, my brother David knew about Kennedy and Khrushchev and like uh, Cuban Missile Crisis and stuff like that. My middle name came from one of the presidents of the United States. I have the world's worst middle name, Francis. So Kennedy was John Franklin Kennedy, but his Christian name was Francis or something like that. And then Bobby Kennedy, you could see that that's how I got Robert, right? So my family loved the Kennedys. And there was a moment in time when uh, they were shot or he was shot. And my parents were eating hot dogs. They were in Germany. They never, ever ate a hot dog again. That's how traumatic it was. We all remember where we were when... 9-11 happened. We already, that was a moment for a different generation, right? So the Cold War, U.S. against Russia. Reagan going, tear that wall down. You know where the Cold War is now? It's U.S. and China and technology. And it's, it's for real. Um, the importance of 5G, the importance of intellectual property, the importance of um, you know, a TikTok app versus Facebook app. I'm like, what is the TikTok app? So I have to find this stuff out for you. So that I can give you good advice and get good insight. I look at things as a Cold War, and we have the U.S. has an advantage right now in intellectual property and technology. We are still the world power, and China's still copying us. Whether it's companies like Flex or Broadcom, Qualcomm, Micron, Intel, Corvo, uh, we kind of rock it. But the Cold War is there, and I bring that up in large part because I'm going to try to teach you a little bit more about tech. Here's how you can become a good tech company. It's not about the best tech. Oh, right? Let's test number 12 one more time. Right? It's not about the tech, right? Thank you. Thank you. I, I've got a tick. <laughs> I don't have a talk. I got a tick. So here's how you become the best tech company. Um, technological barriers, superiority is not relevant. It's irrelevant. It's less than relevant. It's irrelevant. The benefits that technological superior give you, it basically is fleeting. Better technology is not a sustainable competitive advantage. Technology tends to, now again, we're in kind of like technology 2.0 with social media. 
But if you talk about technology in Silicon Valley, you tend to talk about smaller, cheaper, faster. So the fact that computers went from 4,000 to 3,500 to 3,000, 2,500 to 2,000, 1,500 to 500, smaller, cheaper, faster, because the, the semiconductors got faster. They got cheaper. And how does this all work? How do you evaluate a tech company? You should have some questions written down for every type of company you buy. And one of the ones of, of them is the network effect. Is a product becomes more valuable the more people use it. Adobe is the standard for electronic publishing. Facebook is the standard for putting up ugly pictures of your children. Microsoft owned the market for PC until kind of Google came along and said, you know what, we can do an operating system for free. We'll throw Chrome on any computer. And while we're at it, we'll put our maps on. And we're going to suck a lot of data out of you because it's all free. And then we're going to reuse that data from you. And if it gets caught up in a breach, we'll say sorry. Sorry. Gilly from Saturday Night Live. Sorry. One of my favorite characters of Saturday Night Live, for the record. Um, and I am a Saturday Night Live kid. It's getting my generation. We grew up and, you know, you'd, you'd beg mom and dad to stay up. They'd say no. So you just turn on the, the TV really quietly and watch it while they were sleeping. But the network effect is super powerful. So can you get your product in everyone's hand, right? Or do you go in more of a niche thing? Like Snap is really about millennials in theory, but that's not a business model in of itself. There's a high switching cost. That's another thing that you're looking for in technology. If you've been trained on Adobe Photoshop and you have to go use something else, good luck to you. That curve is expensive. Um, I've got, I could do a better Excel spreadsheet than anyone else on this planet. I think if there was an Excel spreadsheet for Olympics, I would dominate it. For me to learn anything else, I'm sticking with Microsoft, baby. I've put my time in, right? And I, if I just called you baby and you were offended by that, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Because nobody backs baby into a corner. Time is money, as the Alan Olson commercial says again and again and again for the last seven years. But time is money, right? So relearning things is expensive. For Oracle, their power in the 90s and, and early 2000s was that their database was installed. And to gut it out, you lost everything. And it was expensive to put something new in. That was the power of it. It wasn't the best in the world. There was other companies like Informix, um, PeopleSoft. There was other companies that were doing Siebel systems um, that were doing just as good stuff. One of those companies, not a networking, not a database company. My mind's losing it. So you're looking for a network effect. Can you get the product in everyone's hand? Then you're looking for the high switching costs. Because once you're entrenched, you can ride this puppy for many, many years. Then you're looking for economies of scale. Intel probably doesn't make the best semiconductor in the world, but they can make the most of them. And when you can make the most of them, you can say, well, we're going to buy a lot of silicon from you. And uh, we like to buy 10 million pounds. And we're going to put it in these ovens over at Blood Materials, and they're going to bake it into a semiconductor. Not very many people can have that expensive of a, a model put into place where they can start spreading fixed costs. Spreading fixed costs is the dominant way to, to kick butt in your industry. Because then you can like, cheat in marketing. You can cheat in research. Intel. Remember the whole ad campaign, Intel Inside? And it would go, do-do-do-do. They did that because they could make millions and millions of them. Economies of scale, the network effect, high switching costs. Then you're looking for a cost advantage. Um, cost advantage can be easily explained of, you know, do you have to go to a mall to buy it? Or can you do a direct order on the internet? Amazon has a cost advantage because they don't have physical stores. Now they're starting to have physical stores and it makes me crazy. Before they're like, you want something? We'll send it to you from a warehouse. You don't even have to get off your butt. You just sit on your couch and uh, we'll bring it to you. Grubba, we'll bring you food. To, like everyone will bring it to you, right? Cost advantages. If you can figure out a way to not pay retail space in rent, 
you're you're pretty good. And they're looking for intellectual property. Qualcomm has so many patents. Apple has so many patents. Eh, some of them times they get abused. Sometimes they're like silly patents. Like we're going to come up with a communication device. Like that should go to Star Trek. Star Trek should own that intellectual property on all cell phones, right? With a communicator. It doesn't quite work like that. But those are the five things you're looking for in a tech company. Intellectual property, cost advantage, economies of scale, high switching cost, and network effect. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial. Catch Rob Black and Rob Black and your money live on the Bay Area Airwaves. Weekday mornings from 7 to 9 on AM 1220 KDOW. And streaming live on the KDOW radio app or KDOW.biz. I'm Rob Black, talking all things stock-related. Doing a little bit of stock talk, so to speak. One of the companies that is widely held, maybe too widely held, if I were to be honest with you, is Apple. I think we all know that I own shares of Apple, and I think we all know a lot about Apple. I don't think it's going to surprise anyone. That's where it gets kind of difficult talking about Apple. A lot of people have very set opinions on it. For years, growing up in the 90s and the 80s, Microsoft kind of became the evil empire, and we looked for areas where we could vent some of our steam that had built up into maybe new ideas. And one of them that came along was the iPod and the iPhone. They really, I would say, shook things up, to say the least. Morgan Stanley did some really nice research recently on the future of Apple. And one of the areas they're very much so focused in on is the healthcare. As I've gotten older, I care more about my health. As I've gotten older, I've become more like my father was when I was a child. I tend to watch the news, and I don't know why. When I was a kid, I was like, I swear I'll watch Fantasy Island when I grow up one day. I'll watch Fantasy Island nonstop. I'll never be born like my dad. But in an interview earlier this year, Apple CEO Tim Cook said Apple's greatest contribution to mankind will be related to health. Okay. I'm interested where he's going to go with this. Morgan Stanley's outlined several ways in which Apple can expand its role in healthcare. Now, healthcare for where Apple's tinkering could be in a range of $15 billion to an extra $313 billion in revenue in the next seven or eight years. Keep in mind, seven or eight years ago, we were talking about in the year 2019, 2020, we'll have self driving cars. It didn't quite work out like that, right? But it's still out there. We still talk about it. We still like the idea. There's a very huge opportunity because as I'm growing older, I care more about my health care. And as I'm growing older and the kids get off to school and college and things along those lines, we tend to have a little bit more disposable income. As we're younger, we get into a mortgage that it's a struggle in our 30s. But hopefully you've gotten little raises here, little raises there, and you haven't been greedy along the way, upgrading your cars, your wives, and your houses. And hopefully you have a little bit left over. So $15 billion to $313 billion in revenue. That's a huge company opportunity. It's three times larger than the global smartphone market. And Apple's already tinkering. They got the watch that could do the EKG, of which Stanford did basically an 18-month study. And they, they, they said, you know... The watch is okay. It creates some false alarms, but it also has caught the attention of some you know, proper diagnoses. It probably has a way to go is probably the way of saying it, but healthcare is a market where Apple has potential to lead digital disruption. America has a problem with being fat and oopaloompas, and that creates diabetes. I see 25-year-old kids today just massively obese just walking heart attacks and maybe it's maybe that's the play on the video game generation. Someone asked me yesterday via email you can drop me an email, Robert Rob Black Show. Um, since Epic is not private, publicly owned, 
how can I play the video game revolution? And maybe your, your play is on diabetes. Kids sitting around playing all day, not going out and running, not going around and kissing girls, just getting fat, getting depressed, eating more pizza. Maybe it's Domino's, right? Maybe it's Papa John's. So healthcare is a market where Apple has potential to lead disruption. And um, you're going to hear more and more about this ecosystem. Apple could boost its health initiatives in several different ways. For instance, it could add blood pressure. Um, as we get older, we're having problems with our blood pressure. I, I don't know many people in the 60 age bracket that, that aren't on some sort of medications for either um, high blood pressure or glucophage or you know some sort of glucose blood monitoring issue. And then we also have the sleep tracking issues that, that bug America. And Apple's already kind of falling behind on some of that, but they can catch up pretty quickly. Some of their technology with their AirPods could be used to create hearing aids. You know, anyone over 60, the hearing starts to go, right? Apple could accelerate its future health efforts by acquiring an existing health company. It's going to be fun to watch. Apple could secure medical subsidies, which is another way that they could do business with insurance companies by saying, um, I work for Salem and I work for Nexstar and, you know, other companies out there. They could say, Rob, we'll give you health care, but you have to wear this watch and you have to take 10,000 steps a day. Otherwise, your price is going to be twice as much. And I'd go, give me the watch. And I'd be like, okay, dog, come here, dog. You're going to run around the yard with this on today. Right? So I think it's fair to say that Apple has some potential. And again, it's not nothing to get super excited about, in my opinion, uh, because you're talking about it's really not there right now. Right now, it's cute. I can see my beats per minute, and I go, oh, that's my beats per minute. I can see how many steps I've taken. I'm like, oh, but I want blood sugar. I want blood pressure. I used to always, you know, whenever you go to like a CVS, they got that blood pressure cuff there. You could get your blood pressure taken. I always like doing that, even though it always scares me. I'm like, what if the, what if it's malfunction? What if it like actually puts so much pressure on my arm that it, it like my arm blows up? I worry about this kind of stuff. But healthcare is a market where Apple's got the potential for disruption. And this is something we want to watch. The App Store ecosystem. You know, how much cost savings can you have? Um, I can tell you, like, with smartphones, there's disruption, right? You can get, like, a app like Robinhood or Acorns to start saving for the future. You don't have to call 800 Fidelity or 800 TD Ameritrade or 800 whoever big bank broker you, you have out there. So this, these disruption platforms, whether it be the iPhone, the iPad, the iOS, the App Store. Now, other companies aren't sitting by and saying, you know, hey, go for it. Alphabet's Google, Amazon, they've got greater artificial intelligence capabilities at this point in time. And they, and they don't mind saying that, whereas Apple's like, hey... We're not going to artificially intelligence our way into anything. The AirPods that go in your ear, a lot of people think that they could be the kind of secret weapon. They're better at, at your ears, better at like temperature. Your ears better at oxygen levels in your skin. So for measuring these things, I don't know. It's a big op- opportunity. What do you think? 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. Anything that you want to talk about, stocks, investing, and more, you can find me online at robblackshow.com. That's robblackshow.com. Disruption. Do you believe it's going to happen, or do you think all the innovation's dead at Apple? I can tell you this. Their R&D department, every other company would salivate and die to have that kind of budget to play with on future disruptable services. I'm Rob Black, talking stocks and more. Find me online at robblackshow.com. Want the podcast with music? Find the link to the other version of the podcast by going to Rob Black's Twitter. His handle is at Rob Black Show. Listen to Rob Black and Your Money weekday mornings, 7 to 9 on AM 1220 KDOW. I don't know if you remember President Bill Clinton. 
he was the president that once was asked, did you do marijuana in college? And he said, I did, but I never inhaled. Who doesn't inhale marijuana if you're in college? You just puff on it and pretend? I get that when you're in fourth grade. I get it when you're in fourth grade and you're like trying to be cool in front of your friends and you don't know how to puff. But long story short, marijuana is in the news yet again. Marijuana, marijuana stocks took a hit because they're too, there's too much subpar quality pot. I know you're saying there can never be too much quality pot, but what's subpar quality? It's a good question. Several Canadian-based marijuana growers could be impacted by a buildup of unsellable subpar quality cannabis, as well as a slower rollout of retail sales. Huh. So we've got to go back in the backstory and... I don't own any marijuana investments. I don't have any problems with marijuana investments. I don't have a big social conscience when it comes to investments. I'm, I'm trying to give you opportunity to get you to retirement, trying to talk to you a little bit about like some mistakes we've all made. And I get a lot of questions about marijuana stocks. Tilroy. Take some T-L-R-Y. Tilroy. Tilroy. Okay, okay, okay. They reported $43 million in sales in 2018, but in a conference call... They said it's been hard to find good marijuana. Now, one thing I know about Canada is it's cold and there's not a lot of sunshine for large swaths of the year. Thus, growing marijuana is a little bit more expensive. I don't know the whole business model. I know that marijuana is a weed, and I know it grows fast when it does grow. And I don't know if like Canadian weed's as good as Maui weed. Maui wowie, right? Tilroy was forced to buy cannabis on the wholesale market, pinching gross margin in its December quarter from 57% to 20%. That's crazy. They've achieved growth despite supply chain constraints across Canada. They've created pricing pressure for cannabis that meets quality standards, forcing them to source to outside suppliers. So they think the marijuana market's getting ready to slip into oversupply right now, some analysts do, until production can catch up with demand and prices fall. You're seeing it's already happened in states like Washington, Oregon in the past. So I don't know enough about the product cycle and the growth cycle and some other crop issues tied towards marijuana. I don't know yet that if it's a big rainy season, what it means for marijuana. I don't know if it's if there's a big, long, cold winter. I can tell you that floods will impact wheat and wheat will impact prices that we pay for corn and corn will impact the prices that we we give our livestock how much do we feed them do we get them fat and slaughter them or do we slaughter them fast as we can because uh, the the food cost is too high but some other stocks to look at tilroy t-l-r-y aurora cannabis acb canopy growth cgc chronos stock they're in the play too there's some mid-sized producers out there. Most of these stocks have like outperform ratings on them. But again, we haven't run into a lot of business cycle with them. I want you to be, as you're pretty, so be wise. You remember Little Red Riding Hood? I remember things I shouldn't remember. I remember the actual poem. To the little girls, this seems to say, Never stop upon your way. Never trust a stranger friend, for you do not know how it will end. As you're pretty, so be wise. Wolves may lurk in every guise. Now and then this simple truth sweetest tongue has sharpest tooth so as you're pretty so be wise marijuana stocks and the business cycle you probably don't know enough about at this point in time or maybe you do maybe you're an expert grower i know there's one guy i could ask on my street when he was getting the old divorce he panicked and he's like hey i'm afraid my wife's gonna wrap me out on my marijuana plants can you can you can you store some for me I'm like can you teach me all about marijuana plants because I, I knew i 
I don't have a green thumb. You got to put like the males next to the females. And I'm like, how do you tell the difference in plants if it's a male or female? Like, I don't know. Do you see where I have some knowledge gaps that are just like black holes of like, how did, how did he learn that in seventh grade science? I can't tell the difference between a male and female plant, the marijuana plant. Should I be able to? A lot of Americans expect to buy a house or retire one day, changing topics. But they're not saving for it. Do you see the conundrum? One quarter of millennials expect to retire between the ages of 66 and 75, and yet they don't have one single dime saved. Half of generation, so one quarter of millennials expect to retire between 66 and 75, and yet they have nothing saved. It ain't going to be Social Security. Social Security is going to be like pennies. Half of Generation Xers have no retirement account, despite most expecting to retire between ages 56 and 75. So I'm a Generation Xer, right? I've got too much in retirement, and yet I keep opening more savings accounts because I'm, I'm paranoid about the future. I believe the children are future. And yet I'm really paranoid because I don't trust the children. 31% of millennials, 25% of Generation Xers, 12% of baby boomers want to own a home but are currently not saving for one. What's wrong with people? It just doesn't happen. Spontaneous combustion of, of millions. It would be nice if it did. So people don't align their goals with their habits. Just over half of Generation X respondents in a survey said they expect to retire before age 75. There's retirement calculators out there. I don't think they're great, but I think they're a start. It's kind of like you signing up for a gym. I don't think it's going to work, but it's a start. And if you do it enough, I think it will work. 52% of millennials without a retirement savings account. 46% still expect to retire. I've met people, and this is sad to say because this is really very, very sexist. I've met some women that throw other women under the bus and like, oh, she's just getting married for the money. I get it. I get it. We're not going back to courtly love, but marrying for status, it's, there's something to be said for like, hey, I don't want to work till the day I die. I know you're saying, is this going to turn into a conversation on Tristan and Isolde or Romeo and Juliet? Tristan and Isolde were kind of like Romeo and Juliet before Romeo and Juliet. It goes back to, I think, the 11th century. Some monks had written a story about like true love and potions and witches and you know the king gets what he wants but the king's right hand man can't possibly be passionate because it's about all about stately love so if you want to own a home how much do you give up of your own personal love interest for financial security the person who's contributing to a tax deferred ira or 401k i don't think they can be overstated as, as better looking than someone who is going to um, 49ers games and spending their whole paycheck. Or somebody who works out all day long and has nothing saved. So that's out there. A lot of people don't match up their goals with their spending habits. I'm throwing that out there. Hey, I'm posting more video of me on Facebook. I've got a Facebook group page, I Hate Rob Black. Facebook group page, I Hate Rob Black. I know you're saying, why do you have a Facebook group page called I Hate Rob Black? I've got one Cron 4 Rob Black. I've got one Rob Black and Your Money. But the one that I want you to do is I Hate Rob Black. Um, or the Cron 4 Rob Black, because that's where I put my videos up. And um, what's the point of that? Oh, I don't even know if I have a point. Oh, I came up with I Hate Rob Black as a, a, a web, uh, as a Facebook page, because there's people that hate me. And what better way to defang someone than already saying that you hate yourself, right? It kind of takes the power out of them. Bank of America's raising its... I know! Thank you, sir. Bank of America is raising its minimum wage for employees to $20 an hour. If you get a job at Bank of America, you'll make $41,000 a year, so says their CEO, Brian Monahan. That's not bad. Only problem is they're also shutting down banks at an alarming rate. I did one of those deposited checks while I had taken a picture of it, and that just makes Bank of America all the happier. 
And they have no problem when you sign up for the app. They have no problem telling you, hey, by the way, uh, you can deposit checks. You don't actually have to go into a branch. The move comes a day before Moynihan. J.P. Morgan chases Jamie Dimon and five other bank CEOs are scheduled to testify before the Democrat-led House Financial Services Committee in Washington. Huh. Income inequality is a hot-button issue in the United States. And Brian Moynihan, head of CEO of Bank of America, has gone out of his way to say, hey, look, we're raising our minimum wage. We're trying to make everyone a little bit closer in wages. I don't know if it's a Bank of America issue as much as it's an Amazon or Walmart issue. They both also boosted wages ahead of federal rules. Federal minimum wage is only $7.25 an hour. But a bill to raise that to 15 an hour over the next six years is making its way through Congress. Making our way in the world today takes everything you got. Remember Cheers? Man, we need a good local bar to all go get drunk at and scream Norm, don't we? In these times of trouble. Oh, yeah, the markets are near an all-time high. It's not times of trouble at all. Americans 55 and older are suddenly losing jobs at the fastest pace in four years. Dun, dun, dun. Find me online at robblackshow.com. Don't forget, there's another hour of today's show to listen to. Find it now at kdow.biz or on the KDOW radio app. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. If you haven't really grasped this and caught on to it, you got to really plug yourself into the idea of influencers. It's, it's something that's out there. Now, again, you can go like, isn't a CEO an influencer like Jack Dorsey who runs Twitter? Uh, he gets paid a buck 40 a year. I know you're saying a buck 40 a year. It's cute, right? It's a, it's a nod to the old Twitter. 140 characters, 140 cents. Cute. Okay, I don't buy into cute. But I think you really do need to get into this this concept of influencers and you could need to get into some other concepts like china's gonna be a bigger economy than the u.s it's a matter of not when it's not a matter of if it's a matter of when right and how big so influencers are important because you're seeing companies like instagram come public facebook come public youtube part of google and alphabet and what are they gonna wear what pants are they wearing I need to know. What watches do they like? It's as if today's youth can't go to a social event and not say, oh, Kylie Jenner loves this lipstick. Look, I've got her lipstick. Pants, watches, vodka. They're all in the photos on Instagram. And you're like, hey, and these are influencers. For social media companies and the advertising and marketing firms that rely on them, the system seems like a great deal. You basically get average people to be grassroots stars for you so epic's got fortnite and they uh they got what are called influencers and you know you have to prove to them that you're funny when you play the game and you stream it you have to prove to them that you know you can get a following and they'll give you things like free v bucks and free swag they may even give you a couple bucks if you you push a product enough or get enough views on a, a website so grassroots stars influencers are you familiar with it or are you not is it offensive to you even when it's clear that they're influencers sometimes you're like well i still want to wear that because that's good looking you know the most valuable people they say that it's even more valuable than a super bowl commercial are the people at costco who hand out samples because you're more likely to go oh that's a delicious meatball i'm gonna go get a package of those meatballs Whereas if you see a commercial for it, you're like, oh, well, that looks good, but who knows? Could taste like, you know, grass. So trying to get people to be authentic in a glitzy traditional campaign, or maybe it's a non-traditional campaign, it costs way less. The old guard, I think, should be really worried about these powerful influencers. And every now and then you'll see, like, these two YouTube stars are boxing, and you're like, who's PewDiePie, and why is he saying things about Nazis? And you're like, well... 
he influences your kids, and your kids go out and spend money. Now, I like Alibaba. Kind of similar idea on the, they use influencers, but they also are kind of like the Amazon of China. So they got the growth of China, and they're using influencers. So influencers in China can have, you know, 150 million fans. Easy. So now I want to get into the business of manufacturing influencers because there's going to be something to be said about that. Influencers sell tons of goods for corporate brands. So, and it's just a little bit different than maybe you're, you're familiar with as far as the business model goes. Anyhow, you need to get really, really comfortable, in my opinion, with the brave new world out there. And you should be able to. Hey, how about this for cholesterol? How about this for heart attacks? Bit and Jerry's, freebies, National Unicorn Day. Oh, boy. Free ice cream and unicorns? What could cause the end of the world other than that? They would get a chance. Ben Cohen and Jerry Greenfield. Um, they're the co-founders of Ben and Jerry's. And they really went with a community approach. And, a, you know, the community supported them. Um, but expect long lines and big crowds. Ben and Jerry's plans to serve more than a million free scoops. Although freebie giveaways are usually limited to one per person. Ben and Jerry's actually encourages multiple trips. Don't you love that? Chuck E. Cheese has got unicorn churros. Because of it's National Unicorn Day. I know you're saying, what the hell is he talking about? National Unicorn Day. Unicorn churros. Can you imagine there's somebody probably out there who has a four-year college degree? Shopped around his resume after college. And somehow, some way, some shape, some form, ended up working for the National Unicorn Foundation to help promote the National Unicorn Day. And he's an influencer like that, don't you know? Gas prices are creeping higher. It's a tricky time of the year. It's the time of the year where we're moving from winter towards spring or summer, and gas formulations change. It's one of the areas where we could have more volume if we as a nation dedicated our gasoline to one formula. But in one area where the states are greater than the, the federal government, states get to mandate their own formulas for gasoline, which puts pressure on the companies to make gasoline with different formulas. So drivers of the West Coast... The Rockies, the Great Lakes, the Central Regions, the South, um, East of the Mississippi, which when I spell Mississippi, I say, Emma, quick letter, quick letter, ah, quick letter, quick letter, ah, hunchback letter, hunchback letter, ah. Once you learn to say it like that, you can spell the word Mississippi. National gas prices increased to 74 now. Refinery maintenance is to blame. Fill up your tank. Refinery utilization is at 86% compared to 93% a year ago. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Find me online at robblackshow.com. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.